Good morning, everybody. Whether you're here in God's house or at your house, we welcome all. At Christmas Eve, leading up to Christmas Eve service, the stage was full of trees and people, and it was so festive, and as I said, full, and just it felt right. And then today, scale back, no trees. We've still got a couple in the foyer in the commons. No trees, just a few people, but I'm grateful. Grateful for both. Grateful for scaled back. Grateful for Lauren and her team and just uh, leading us, Atia and Jeremy. And Lauren herself, they sat down. I'm going to sit down this morning. How about that? Back in first century, I've taught this before. I don't know if you remember or know this, but back in the first century, uh, teaching was this way. The rabbis in the rabbinical, rabbinical tr- tradition, rabbis would sit and teach and their listeners would stand. Isn't that different? Do you know that in biblical times, first century Palestine, the teacher would sit and the listeners would stand. Would y'all do that? Yeah, you're laughing. That already answers the question. No way. Okay, no way I would ask you even to attempt that. Years and years and years ago, when I was a college student, we're kicking it back way back when, I went to the Dallas to, as a part of Campus Crusade for Christ. They call it Crew now. Y'all heard of that? It's who I worked with for 13 plus years. And I went as a freshman to a Christmas conference, and the conference was held at the Dallas Lowe's Anatole. And incidentally, that year, uh, Boston College uh, was playing for a title. They had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback named Doug Flutie. Y'all remember Doug Flutie? And Doug Flutie was staying at the hotel. We were stalking him bad. And there I was in a ballroom with about approximately 1,500, maybe 1,800 college students. And I was there. My motivation was a girl, honestly. And in this ballroom, Bill Bright stepped up and he spoke. And in his words, I wrote it down from a journal, and I want to get every word right. He said that we have to fight society because there's a societal pull in us. He's right, Romans 12. The culture tries to squeeze you into its mold. And he, he put it this way. He said that if you're not careful, he, was, he knew he was talking to future leaders, students who would go out and try to change the world. He said, society pulls us this way, and we scurry mindlessly, getting and consuming. And so what he asked us to do is to take what he called counter-cultural action. I wrote all these words down in a journal. To take, to, I'm sorry, to act counteractively. In other words, don't just act, but you've got to act counter to the ways of the world. You, the, the world's going this way. And you know this, in following Jesus, you need to be able to love the world, but to go this way. Uh, it's not about the church is hollow and empty in many ways today, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, because we've tried to be, we've tried to follow fads and be trendy and be hip and cool. But to follow Jesus is to live counterculturally. Like every young person, I really want you to hear this, but old people too. To act to, to take counteraction. And he put it this way. We need to be stretched to live our best, awakened out of dull habits, and shaken out of petty, trivial, busy work. And I wrote that down like, you know, I wasn't a good note taker as a college freshman. Remember, I was there for the girl. But I, di- I didn't get the girl. But God got my attention that day through the speaker. And he presented a way to take counteraction to be awakened, to be shaken, to be willing to be stretched. And so before I share that with you, I would just say, hey, to what extent are you maybe even this morning willing to be awakened out of dull habits, to be shaken out of petty, trivial, busy work? 
In what way are you willing to be stretched to be your best self? And here's what he offered to us. He offered to us what Jesus offers to everybody. Given to us in a purpose. For us to begin this year, I want you to think about what ways can you be stretched to be your best? What ways can you be awakened out of dull habits in your life? What ways can you be shaken to move away from petty, trivial, busy work? To think about a life that matters. And Jesus offered an invitation to everyone. And it says after the resurrection, this is after Jesus had done his thing. And it says that they gathered, and the disciples, that some doubted and some worshipped. That's us today, right? That's balcony, that's lower level, that's overflow room. We, we got some folks in overflow room because we have to distance ourselves socially. We got a lot of people at home. We love you. We're thinking of you. Hey, listen, some of us are doubting and some of us are worshiping. And Jesus, in the midst of that, knowing what was in front of him, he said, I have all authority. All authority has been given to me, given to me in heaven and earth. You know this is the Great Commission. And he said, go and make disciples. So if you're here this morning, say that. I'm going to point at you. I'm going to say one, two, three, and point at you. And I want you to say make disciples, okay? One, two, three. Let's do that better. One, two, three. If you're at home, your Facebook Live, some of you type that in so we'll know you're there. Just type in make disciples. And here's what Jesus did not say. This invitation that can help awaken us and shaken us and cause us to think about how we can stretch our lives for something that really matters instead of living like ants on an ant heap, just scurrying mindlessly about. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Jesus, incidentally, did not say, go and make Christians. In the scripture, let me ask you, in the scripture, how many times do you think Christian is mentioned? Obviously, it would be the New Testament, right? How many times from Matthew to Revelation to the maps even is the word Christian mentioned in the Bible, what would your guess be? I don't want to hurt anybody's pride. I would have you turn to the person next to you, but you may, your, your ego may be bruised. But just in your mind, at home, in the, in the house, what would you guess? Christian, I mean, oh my goodness, that's got to be, I mean, a thousand times? A thousand? Would that, anybody guess a hundred? Ready? Drum roll? Three. How many times is the word disciple used in the New Testament? 268 times. If you were to Google this, how many Christians are there in America? What would you answer? What would you, what do you think the answer would be? Not necessarily how you would answer that, but what would your search engine, what results would your search engine do you think deliver to you? Here's the answer. 245 million. So you know how many people there are in America? I mean, nobody knows knows, but estimated there's 328 million people in America. And they're telling us that 240 people identify, self-identify as Christian. And so I pause there and I say, hold on. We've done okay, but there is in our world a repudiation of religion. There's a subtraction of faith. There's a, an increasing secularization of our culture. Are you telling me, Google search engine, that of 328 million people living in America, we're only talking about America, that 245 of us are Christians. I was so troubled by that uh, this week that I wrote a poem. Yeah, you're not going to say all oh, after I read the poem. Appreciate it, Tia. Y'all need to talk back like a Tia, some of y'all. Come on. So I wrote a poem. It's my anniversary. I write poems. I don't know if you know this. I try to 
curtail them and tailor them to different settings. Our anniversary is next week. Remember that, Susan? So I've written you a poem that you'll appreciate. I don't know if you're going to appreciate this poem, but here's a poem, okay? I'm a Christian. I go to church when I feel like it. Sometimes I go once a month. When I go three times a month, I pat myself on the back. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I have a bar. I have a bar that I try to live up to, and when other people don't live up to this bar, I look down on them. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I take what helps me from the Bible and throw out the rest. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I support Black Lives Matter, the movement. You don't? I'm done with you. I'm a Christian. You support Black Lives Matter, like the movement? I'm done with you. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I've never read the whole Bible. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I've never faithfully served in the church that Jesus loved and died for. I've never really faithfully attended the church. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I've never used my finances to invest in kingdom things. I give occasionally based on feeling, but not based on rock solid, crystal clear, biblical truth. But I'm a Christian. I'm adding to my poem as I go. I'm a Christian. I've never discipled another person. If I come to church, if I come to church, I never bring anybody with me. I'm never investing in people and neighbors and coworkers and seeking to invite them. I'm a Christian. I post things that say I care on my Instagram. I really want people to think I care. I don't really do much about it, but I really am driven by people thinking that I care. I'm a Christian. Part two of my poem. I'm a disciple. My whole purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm a disciple. My central aim is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I plagiarized a little bit from the Bible. And to love my neighbor as myself. I'm a disciple. I love everybody no matter what, even my enemies. I'm a disciple. My goal is to be like Jesus, to live like him, to give like him, to respond like him, and yes, when called upon, to suffer like him. By the way, we're called to that. I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. I love the word of God. It is my bread, it sustains me. It is my light, it guides me. It is my hammer, it hits me hard and heavy at times. It is honey to my mouth and to my soul some of the time. I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple, I'm led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and bear the fruit of the Spirit. I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple, I have not arrived. In fact, I'll tell you, it's not about busyness, it's about being. It's not about perfection, it's about connection it's not about competency it's about intimacy and God is teaching me that you know what y'all I'm a disciple so we conclude my poem now and in concluding the poem I want you to turn to a passage of scripture because after that poem we probably need a passage second Peter 
chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through, I think, 10. 2 Peter, so if you have your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. I just feel like starting the new year by doing this. Just gives me some authority up here. 2 Peter chapter 1, a lot of you are going to look at the screen. After my poem, written Thursday, we need a passage written a long time ago. All right, here's Peter, and he says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Notice this progression, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, sisters too, to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I have met a lot of ineffective and unproductive Christians. I have never met an ineffective, unproductive disciple. There is no problem in this world that can't be solved if you're an apprentice of Jesus. This world doesn't need nominal, convenient, watered-down, self-identifying Christians. We need learners and students, people who will take time to sit at the feet of the master. I'm going to keep preaching this. He's the greatest mind that's ever lived, the greatest teacher that ever taught. He gives the best gifts ever given. And if you see the progression of this passage, look, who wants, like, I'm just telling you, that day as a college freshman, I've had plenty of bumps and bruises along the way. I've made many detours. I've almost wrecked my life and ended up in a ditch. Just a little of my story. But I'm telling you, as a college freshman, I went somewhere to get a girl and God, God got a hold of my life. And I, I sat there that day and I thought, I don't want to be ineffective and unproductive. Like, I want to be led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be a disciple. I want to go and make disciples. I don't want to go and make nominal Christians. I want us, as we begin the year, to be a church of great disciples. If you'll remember back in the fall, we did a faith and culture series, and I talked about five shifts that I think our church should make. I'll, I said that word a bunch in church. I want to be careful that I pronounced it correctly. But five shifts that we need to make. And one of them is I said, I don't want to just, we don't want to just keep people. We want to form people. Y'all know churches aren't doing well now. Y'all know pastors aren't doing well now. Y'all know pastors are going to therapy and quitting and getting fired and running away and imploding. And pastors feel this great pressure of come, be happy. And, and you come and you're in a mask and then you file out and we don't know if you're connecting and we're struggling and it's hard. And we, we're driven by this pressure. You have pressure in your jobs, I, I know it. But like pastors are driven with a keep people here and keep them happy. And this fall, Jesus was just telling me, don't try to keep people happy. Like, I want to feed my family. Like, I want to have a church. But my goal is not to just keep people happy. I'm not here to keep you. 
I'm here in part to form you or to see that Jesus formed you. Go and make disciples. So pretend with me for a moment. Pretend with me for a moment that God said, go and make cars. Now, he didn't, but just pretend that he did. Remember, this is just a little little imagination. Pretend that God said, go and make cars, and then he returned, and he observed, and yes, inspected, what kind of cars we made. But the cars we made, y'all, they didn't have steering wheels. They didn't have brakes. They didn't have headlights. They didn't have clutch. They didn't have a muffler or an exhaust. So the question that I ask in our pretend scenario is this. Did we make good cars? No, we made terrible cars. And Peter, one who lived with Jesus, who decided after terrible mistakes, after sin and failure, like he didn't need a new year. Like Peter had 20, Peter had a 2020 that lasted a long time. And it, it, would, it, was, it was more than just a new year that he, he needed to get a fresh start, a clean slate, a, a, a brand new beginning. And Peter said, if you add these things to your life, notice he said in increasing measure. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-shot. But if you add these to your life, if you partner with God and see these things added to your life, look, that's the kind of disciples we want to build. What did he say? Hey, faith. Faith, and then you add to that, you supplement that faith with virtue, and you supplement that virtue with knowledge, and you supplement that knowledge with self-control, and you supplement that self-control with steadfastness, and that steadfastness with godliness, and that godliness with brotherly affection, and that brotherly affection with love. Say love. One, two, three, say love. That's the kind of disciple that God wants to make. Let, let, me, let, me, let me let you avoid guesswork and speculation. Let me, let, me, let me point you to 2 Peter 1 as we start a new year and say, these are the virtues that God wants to build into your life. And listen, if we build the kind of cars that I talked about in my pretend scenario, what's going to happen? People are going to get stuck in those cars or they're going to wreck those cars. And I don't know what's worse, maybe the wrecks. But if we build cars with no steering wheel and no wheels and no mufflers or exhaust or brakes, those cars aren't going anywhere or they're, they're going to end up in collisions needing bad repair. And so let's make disciples who have faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Some of y'all don't like hugging. Some of y'all are so happy with, uh, not the pandemic, of course, not with death and and a dreaded disease, but you're kind of happy that you get to be your introverted, non-affectionate self. And I just want to say this morning, I hate y'all. I mean, if you've been enjoying this, no, I'm kidding. But look, like God wants all of us, okay? God wants all of us to grow in our ability to share brotherly affection. So these virtues need to be present. So this morning in rapid fire fashion, I want to talk to you about the verse that wasn't on the screen in 2 Peter 1. Like they don't, you can't do that if you go to seminary. I just violated like preaching 101. But all those passages, those verses, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 10, they're preempted by 2 Peter 1, 1 and 2. And verse 2 says there's a greeting. All these letters written from Peter and Paul and others, John, they start with a greeting, which is how things should start. I mean, that's the nature of a greeting. I walked to work this morning, to church. 
And have y'all noticed, maybe it's just me, I, the older I get, I feel like sometimes Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino, but have y'all noticed people just aren't as friendly as they used to be, not waving like they once did? Or is it, is it just me getting older or y'all notice that? And, and today was refreshing because I bumped into some people. There were some walkers and some runners and some dog walkers. There was actually a, an elderly person a bird watching this morning and people were friendly. It was really good to see. But I've noticed recently that people don't wave like they used to. And that, that hurts my feelings. Like I drive by people and I'm like, or walk by people or run by people. And I'm like, we just like, I'm a human and you're a human and I've got a being and you've got a being. And like, you could be way over there, another continent, or I could be and like, but just for one split second, we passed each other. Like just, a, just a, a hand, you know, just a nod, a wave, a Throw, throw up a couple of fingers if you're driving, one, two fingers, not one. You know, just greet people, right? But listen, greetings are important. You know, I can tell about culture. I can tell about your family culture or your staff culture, or your work or education culture by how people greet each other. How do you greet people? And greetings are important. And the letters of the New Testament tell us that, hey, we're, we have a heavenly father. We're brothers and sisters. We ought to greet each other. In a proper way. You know the main greeting of the New Testament? You know what it is? Some of y'all know this. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. First word, grace. And so in rapid fire fashion this morning, I want to quickly say seven things about grace. And the first one is this. Grace is possible. You see it on the screen. That means it's true. Grace is possible. Here's the thing. What's the opposite of grace? If you're scholarly from the Bible, you would say the law. And you would be correct. But what's the opposite of grace? Let's just do common man. What's the opposite of grace? I would offer this, performance. I would offer performance. I would offer earning. I would offer I am trying to earn something. Now notice Peter, back up. Peter says in First Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, he says, make every effort, which is a common phrase. And here's the thing. Sometimes, l- l- let me be clear. God is not against effort. He's against earning. And here's what something like we we have subtracted challenge from our culture. We have we have subtracted admonishment and exhortation. You guys, gals, watch some football uh, over the week and weekend. You probably did. You probably feasted on it. Man, that is a challenge culture. That is a hey, get out there and do your job and let you know. If you don't, I got somebody right behind you who's coming in. It's a challenge culture. I'm not saying it's the best culture. I'm not saying it's the healthiest thing. But it's so interesting that we, we want to move away from scurrying mindlessly. And we want to be awakened and shaken. And we want to open our lives up to being, to being stretched and being our best self. But we don't make any effort. And so I just, I just want you to know this morning, like the scripture says, make every effort. In Hebrews 4, make every effort to enter into his rest. Spiritual rest. By the way, somebody needs to hear this this morning, but I was journaling this uh, last night. But listen, if you've had a couple of weeks off and you're tired, you're still tired, the vacation's done you no good, you're burnout. And you, you need to get help. I, I don't know who it is. It may be at home, but somebody needs to hear that. Hebrews 4, make every effort to enter into his rest. Luke, Luke says this, make every effort to go the narrow path, not the wide path. Make every effort. Romans 14, make every effort to live at peace with other people. Make every effort, Ephesians 4, 3, to maintain, to keep the peace, the, the peace, the unity of the bond of the spirit of peace in Christ. Make every effort. God is not against effort. 
In fact, following Jesus requires effort. Colossians 1, Paul said, I labor. Uh, the word there in the Greek is translated agony. I agonize to present every person complete in Christ. I don't want to just keep you. I want to form you. I want Jesus to form you. I want you to be filled with faith and virtue and knowledge and, and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. We live in a world that needs more love. Make every effort that your life would be more loving. Make every effort. And don't give up on self-control in a culture that pulls you constantly toward immorality and impurity. Make every effort for self-control. But it's a partnership. There's a difference between effort and earning, and that's grace. That is grace, and grace is possible. The image to me in my mind is a ladder. I didn't bring one on the stage, but picture a ladder and picture me stepping up a ladder and I'm trying to earn. I've got an idol at the top and it's, it's success. It's, it's whatever that idol is. Y'all, the idols are as varied as we have people in the room, but you have something at the top and you're trying to get to it. You're trying to earn it. And you contrast a ladder with the cross. And the cross, it says that here's the message of grace. Grace is possible. And the message of grace is you don't need to climb and climb and climb up a ladder because Jesus came for you. And you are approved and you are chosen. And there is this calling and this election in your life. And if you've ever felt unloved, unworthy, or left out, the gospel speaks to that. Grace is possible. The second thing, grace is necessary. Here's what grace, grace saves you, grace changes you, and grace sustains you. Grace saves you. Grace changes you and grace sustains you. And the older I get, the more I've been thinking about sustaining grace. Oh, it's amazing grace, but sustaining grace. Because you hear me preach this some. It's kind of, I've peppered my sermons with this recently. But starting faith is not a staying faith. And a lot of you have not built your life and you are not doing anything to build your life to have a staying faith. A lot of people can start. When I went through my first midlife crisis, I started running marathons, and I finished all of them but one. It's hard to finish a long race. It's easy to want to quit. A lot of people sign up, but you got to count the cost. you gotta, you got to make the effort. you got to try to finish. It's demoralizing and humiliating to get a DNF and, like me, to end up in an ambulance that took me to the hospital. But do you have what you started spiritually? Do you have what it takes in Christ to stay with that faith and to finish it. Grace is possible. Grace is necessary. Let, let me say this. Grace changes you and grace can change the world. The Pharisees, they were the best of the best. Anybody feeling proud this morning? They were the best of the best. Anybody comparing yourself morally to people you see on TV, social media, the political party that's the opposite of your political party, or just some friends that, you know, you're comparing yourself and feeling proud. Look, the Pharisees were the best of the best, and they changed nothing. And Jesus came along and took the ragtag group of disciples who had no royal pedigree, no higher education. They had no polish status. And Jesus took them and chose them to change the world. And they did. What did they have? Going back to the car illustration, I think grace is the wheels on the car. It makes it all go. And this group of disciples, 
they had grace. Grace is possible. Grace is necessary. The third thing, growth in grace is gradual. It's gradual. I was riding the streets months ago with a realtor friend, and we were in a particular neighborhood. We're happy here in Fonder, not going anywhere, God willing. But we were driving, and I was aware of the neighborhood, used to live adjacent to it, and there were two houses for, for sale. And I asked my realtor friend, we were small talking, and, and he um, identified that one house, he goes, this house has 17 offers on it currently, 17 offers. This house has three nominal inquiries. But this house, the second house that only had three nominal inquiries was a nicer house. To me, it was a bigger house. It was a better house. I think it had a better view. But this one had 17 like offers. People are, you know, the price is going up. People are likely going to fight for this house. What's the difference? He explained to me, my realtor friend, that this house is finished. It's remodeled. It's a done deal. This house has work to do. And I remember what my realtor friend says because I related it to you and I spiritually. He said, man, everybody wants the thing that's done. Everybody wants the finished product. And you know who says, I'll take the fixer-upper? A disciple. Why does the disciple say, I'll have the fixer-upper? The disciple knows that he or she is a fixer-upper. Man, I want, I, want, I want it to be complete. This hard thing, I don't want to go to 2020. I want to go to 2021. We're just assuming it's going to be better, y'all. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Do you know? Calendar is a human construct. Don't put your faith in it. Put your faith in him. But hey, we want the finished product. And so what, what, what do we do? We want, it, we want it all done. We don't want to go through the hard stuff. We want it all done. And we want, you know, we want our spouse to be a finished product. But growth in grace is gradual. Growth in grace is gradual. Uh, I'm incomplete, are you? I'm imperfect. I'm in process. I'm in progress. I'm under construction. Are you? Is it just me? It's you too. I'm incomplete. I'm incapable. I'm imperfect. I'm under construction. I'm in process and I'm in progress. And maybe that's the key. That's what I take from 2 Peter 1, that, that those virtues that he talks about. They're in increasing measure. We won't be ineffective or unproductive, that we're growing. It's gradual, but we're growing in them. But look, it's one thing to be in process, and it's another to be in progress. You can be in process and go in the wrong direction. Can I say that in love this morning? So to be in process is to be in progress. When I walk into a place, particularly Fondren Church, and see dust cut you know, kicked up and walls down and new things developing. I, I love that. And I love it because we're making it better because it's progress. It's not just a process. It's not just a collection of dust and a big fat mess. It is progress. And that's us. You are a fixer upper. You're a fixer upper. And so am I. So grace is possible grace is necessary growth in grace is gradual the fourth thing is this is kind of strange but grace ages you now that oh, i just went negative didn't i but let's take this positively because not a lot of us want to be uh, we don't want to age we we buy products that are age defying um, i think we're buying into a lot of myths but we don't want to age but let me tell you spiritually you want to age you want to grow and you want to mature. First John says this, the writer John, he also gave a salutation of grace and peace, says this in First John chapter 2. 
I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, grace. Just like Peter, we've been rescued. We've been rescued. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because I write to you dear children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know who, him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Listen, we, we're in a spiritual battle and there is an enemy And y'all hear me say this, I'm not a demon behind every bush person, but there is a spiritual battle, there is an evil one, and we have to overcome him. Like, faith is a fight. To bring love and justice and goodness in this world is a fight, and it's an intense one. So in this, you see, grace ages you, so you see three categories of people, if you will. John's an old man when he writes this. He had not been exiled to the island of Patmos yet. But John was, was an aged man, and he says, I write to you children, and I'm writing to you young men, and I'm writing to you fathers. So I want you to, if you're a note taker, take down three things. There are three categories of maturity, babies, adolescents, and parents. So a baby, babies are adorable. And my wife is our children's minister here. She can tell you, if you don't know, Fonder Church is, you know, and we don't know who's in and out and who's staying home and who's coming back and all that. I mean, it's a weird season. We know that. But there are babies galore being born in Fonder Church, a whole bunch of babies. And babies are adorable. Babies are adorable. And you know what? Baby Christians, baby disciples are adorable. Because they're young. Like, I, I love being around someone who's new in faith. I think I have an opportunity soon to baptize one of these, but I love this guy. We've been hanging out. We've been running together, doing some stuff together. He's like, you know, he told me uh, recently, he's like, man, I used to, you know, RG, man, I used to, I used to, and now, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm just doing a little bit of this. And, and can I say that in church? Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's, that's cool. Like, I love the freshness. Like, you're not doing this at all anymore and just doing a little bit of this. And like, like, that's growth. And there's a baby there and he's so, everything's so fresh to him. And here's the thing. Many of you know this. When you're a baby in your faith, it feels good, doesn't it? Somebody's taking care of you in church. Let me relate it to church. You come and it's exciting. Lauren and the team sing and you feel things and the, the sermons connect with you. And, you know, it just, it, it feels good. Worship and fellowship and you're signing up for things and you're eager and fresh. You're a baby and the feelings are there. But listen, babies follow their feelings. Disciples follow Jesus. And there comes a time where, listen to me real quick, I want to just cut to the chase on this so that uh, you might, it might uh, ruffle your feathers or whatnot. But let me say it this way. There's a point because a, a two-month-old baby Christian is adorable. A 20-year-old baby Christian is not so cute. And there is a time, here it is. There is a time, I thought a lot about this. There is a time when God will take away your feelings in order to grow you. And we call them, here's what we call them, valleys. We call them storms. We call it wilderness. We call it wilderness winter. But it's a work of God where God takes away those feelings in order to grow you. And a lot of us go, well, I don't have the feelings. So a baby follows their feelings. So I don't have that feeling, so I'm not going to follow it. And Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the one. You want to be happy? The psalmist tells you. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
who does not stand in the path of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he or she meditates day and night. And here's a promise. He or she will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. And in its season, it will yield fruit and its leaves will bear things and it will prosper in everything it does. Now, that, ain't, that last part ain't the promise you think it is. All right, well, that's a whole other sermon. But in other words, you want to be happy, don't follow your feelings everywhere. Be planted and be rooted. So let me tell you something from the world of, of the arboreous tree world. Do you know that trees grow in winter? You say, no, that, no, no, I'm Googling right now. I'm Googling and I'm emailing you. Trees grow in winter there's a thing underneath the surface called rings that are connected to the roots and trees grow in the winter so a baby christian says it doesn't feel good anymore i'm out god you're not blessing i gave a little money i started tithing i'm not prospering like that i'm I'm, I'm not gonna do it i joined the group and it's not a good you know I'm, I'm, i'm i'm out it doesn't feel right doesn't feel good anymore god what have you done god hasn't left you but it feels like he's left you And he's brought a storm into your life, or he's brought a wilderness experience, or he's brought winter in order to glorify you, and uh, uh, to grow you, sorry, and to glorify himself. But an adolescent says, you know what? I'm going to check my spiritual calendar. It's winter. And I'm going to hold on. Instead of following my feelings, I'm going to plant right here. And in this time, it doesn't seem like it, but I'm planted in the truth of trusting him and God is growing me and you make it to parenthood and what do parents do they give life they literally create life they give life and they help sustain life and they grow life and if we have spiritual mothers and fathers in our church now we need to get a little older around here I know that like we're in trouble if I'm like one of the older people I'm telling you But we need parents. We need people who can overcome the evil one. And that's what spiritual parents do. We say, hey, Sonny, sit down. Let me tell you what you're going through because I've been through it. And you know, older men exaggerate their stories. We know that. But we need people who say, man, I have overcome and let me tell you my story. And they've done it. But no one will get there and you won't get there either if you just follow your feelings. But if you say, I'm going to plant And I want to be a testimony to say, I've learned a little bit about this. And there's a degree of happiness in my life that comes from saying, just, okay, I'm just going to plant. 2020 has not been a good year for us in some ways. We have walked through difficulties and pain. But to plant and say, God, I trust you. You have never failed me before. And I threw this up on my IG story recently. But man, God keeps his word every single time. Every single time. Where are we? I got seven. Fifth one, I believe it is. Grace is organic. Grace is organic. Look at me. There's not a formula. You planners, you young Christians that go to the conferences and read the books from the rock star celebrity pastors at the mega churches, there's not a formula. There is not a formula. Growth is organic. And let me say this. Think of it this way. What would grow an orchid would drown a cactus what would feed a mouse would starve an elephant but what do all four have in common an orchid and a cactus cacti and mice and elephants they all need food air light and water all four 
but they need it in different amounts and in different conditions. And listen, you struggle with different sins than other people. You learn differently than other people. You relate to God in different ways. Any parents, like actual parents in the house, you know, hey, they're all, all your kids are different. I never have a parent say, all my kids are just alike. Like, what are you doing if they're all alike? Every time I talk about, man, my kid, I got three kids, they're all so different. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Like, you want, you want the same values in all of them, but you want them to express themselves. Hey, listen to me. Church is not about conformity. Jesus never said, I pray, Father, that they would be identical. Never prayed that. He said, Father, I pray that they would be one. You see the difference? But not identical. Don't be identical. You walk your path. And by the way, don't pressure your pastor to be a certain way. If you have another pastor, you watch him online, that's awesome. He's probably a way better preacher than me, a better pastor than me. But don't try to conform me into him. I got to be who I am. Are you with me? You got to be who you are. Because we learn differently, we struggle with different sins, and we relate to God in different ways. From one of my favorite writers, he puts it this way. Our great model for this is God himself. For he always knows just what each person needs. Can I get an amen? He had Abraham take a walk, Elijah take a nap, Joshua take a lap, and Adam take the rap. He gave Moses a 40-year timeout. He gave David a harp and a dance, and he gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob, whispered to Elijah, warned Cain, and comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a name, and Elisha a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, patient with the disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with children, and gracious with the thief on the cross. God never grows two people the same way. God is a hand crafter, not a mass producer. Mm. Next, we're wrapping up. Grace is observable. You know it. You see it. And you know it. Jesus never said, you'll know people by how they self-identify. He said, you'll know people by the fruit of their life. Look, that's so true. That's true. Anybody, are you looking to hire somebody? Are you looking to date somebody? Are you looking for a church to join or a group to connect with? What's the fruit? What are they showing you? Not their, not their potential, but their actual like, what do you see in their life? And when someone is living with grace, it's observable. Here's, what's, here's the thing. Attitude is so important. Motive, so vital. And you can go and go and do and do. And some of us think, and this is the, the fault of the American church. And man, if it's my, like, I owe, I, like, I'm, I'm probably a part of the problem. God help me. Forgive me, heal me. But if you think discipleship is busyness, no, it's not. If it's just doing a bunch of things. Look, I observe people. When people do a lot of stuff, they become bitter because it's like, oh, I'm giving, but nobody else is giving. Oh, I'm, I'm serving, but where are the other people? And church staff in particular have to be very careful to guard our hearts against this. But grace, man, grace is observable. You know it when you see it, and it is a thing of beauty. Grace can change you. Grace can change the world. Lastly, grace is for everybody. Hebrews 2.15, wrapping it up now, says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. As the team comes up, here's the thing. For us to love the most unloving person in our lives is a Jesus thing. For you, when someone is so ungracious to you, for you to in turn be gracious to them is the way to follow the master.
I don't know about you, but man, the ineffective, unproductive, mindless scurrying, the dull habits and routines, the deadness, the petty, trivial, busy work is empty, and I just want to be done with it. And Jesus says, man, like, I have a purpose for your life, and it's to go. Like, you have a green light to go, but the call is to make disciples. So in the month of January, in the month of January, we're going to talk about what this means, what a disciple means. So would you stand and let me pray over you, and we'll close with a song. Father, I pray that we would grapple with what's the difference between self-identifying and really following. And Lord, I pray, I know there are folks hurting and that 2021 is just, man, it's just a calendar without you. And there are homes and there are hearts that need, need, need faith and knowledge to learn more about God to have godliness and brotherly affection and love and steadfastness and self-control. Lord, grow us that we wouldn't make cars without important parts and we wouldn't try to make disciples without what matters. And so would you build in us, God? Would you build in us? Lord, I pray for anyone here at home or here today that needs help, needs spiritual guidance. Give them courage to reach out. In you we pray, amen.